Let's turn to John 4, 20 and 24. John, the fourth chapter, verses 20 through 24. I'm coming out of the series of Galatians, and I am grateful to God that he allowed us to be faithful and complete that, and he's given us um, word and, and life transformation through that. But in that um, coming out of that, I guess I'm still on the, the heels of this um, understanding uh, the right type of worship and, and the right heart placement when it comes to what we're doing with God and, and, and how we serve God, how we worship God, what is working and what does not work, the tricks of the enemy and all of the issues that the subtle differences the enemy tries to throw at us to get us to grab a hold of things that are not of Christ. Amen. And so um, we want to be moving from that. I don't know how long I'll be in this place of studying worship, but I've been listening to some old preaching and, and doing some study on, on, in the word and, and certain things have been happening in my, in my home and around me and conversations I'm having with, having with others. It's kind of like, okay, Lord, I think this is where you have me. And I'll, I'll know what book I'm going to uh, in a minute, but I'm not going to rush you, Lord. If this is what you want me to do right now, this is what we're going to do because this is your church. Yeah. Amen. So John 4, 20th verse, 24th verse. I'm just going to touch on this today. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship. Interesting. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. Amen. But the time is coming indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Amen? May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Excuse me, my... I'm, I'm turning 50 this year, and my eyes, I know it's deceptive, I know. God has been good. Um, but uh, my eyes are doing, my eyes are doing exactly what they should do. <laughs> so I am struggling at home with my, I got screens at home and things I do to help me study, and I'm adjusting and leaning in and leaning back. It's I'm about to get a crick in my neck trying to figure out how to <laughs> do all this. So excuse me, I'm trying to figure out this new uh, place that I'm in, in the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> I used to make fun of Pastor Rick. I think Pastor Rick must have prayed and got, got me back. <laughs> I'm right there with you now, brother. Amen. All right. I want to speak to you today from the title, Authentic Worship. Authentic Worship. Say it with me. Authentic Worship. Amen. Just going to touch on this a little bit. Uh, the 20th verse says, so tell me why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is in the only place of 
is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshiped. Very interesting statement. Our ancestors worshiped here. Why do you insist, you Jews, that we are supposed to worship in this place where, where I grew up, I was taught that we should worship on this mountain? Why are y'all on the other mountain? <laughs> this is what I know, Jesus. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. When it comes to worship, the presence of God can be anywhere the believer is. Amen. Amen. So it's not about the place that you worship. It's about entering into the presence of God by faith in any location. Amen? You could be at work. You can be in prison. You can be in traffic. It's not about the place where you worship. It's about the believer being aware of God and being aware that God is everywhere. Amen. I like that. You can be in the worst place possible in the world and still be able to draw near to God. I know this myself because when I was in the music business, um, let's just say I had a secular job just like you. <laughs> and I was in the music business and doing concerts, being a music director or producing whatever I was doing in that secular environment, I could still sense the Spirit of God pulling me away without me ever leaving where I actually was. Internally, God would remind his children, remind me that I belong to him even though I was there at work. It can happen to anybody. This is, he is, has anybody ever experienced that? Have you ever been in a place where you, you're not at church? <laughs> Pastor Rick got two hands up. You're in a meeting with your supervisor, uh, and you're at, at worship at the same time. It's possible. Amen. You're on earth, but in the kingdom because you're in the presence of God at the same time. I know this to be true because we can worship God anywhere. Because the worship of God, uh, actually, even in, even in these secular environments, may be the reason why you, you know, you, how do I say this? It may be the reason why you respond in the way that you should versus the way that you could. Amen? Amen. It's worship. Because in some of these companies and some of these places that we are involved in or places that we go to or places we frequent, you know, um, some of these places are crazy. Some of the people that run the places are crazy. Some of the people that are managers in those places <laughs> are crazy. You know, Amazon, PG&E, Bank of America. I hear horror stories. You know, but you worship God even in those places. And here's the thing, <clears throat> because worship is anywhere you go. You could be in worship, and worship is the reason why you still have a job. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> there we go. Help me, Lord. <clears throat> So worship is not just on this mountain <coughs> or in this location. <clears throat> worship is not just at a church. Worship and praise can, of God can go on anywhere. 
our faith in God causes us to be in the presence of God wherever we are or wherever we go. I don't know what's going on with my voice. Verse 22 says, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. Jesus was letting her know that your worship of God must agree with how God wants to receive his worship. You can't just make up any kind of worship and expect God to accept it. Amen? Now, I haven't been in elementary school for quite some time. But I have vivid memories of elementary school. <clears throat> you too? There were some scary teachers that we ran across. You know, we're just coming out of mama's house and it's like, now, now we got to go and be marched into this room <clears throat> where this person is over us. And so I may be a little bit out of touch, you know, for how we do things now, but I remember some things like homework. Remember that? And the teacher would give you instructions as to how they wanted the homework to be done, how they wanted the homework to look. You know, it was good that you completed the assignment, but you just can't hand in the assignment any kind of way, right? One thing I remember that was important is that you had to put your name on the top right-hand corner. Some people might have been in the left, depending on what teacher you had. But you had to put your name on the top right-hand corner, and then the teacher I had... They would call you up out of your seat individually. <clears throat> All my kids are watching. They're like, wow, this is different. They would call you up out of your seat individually, and you had to present your homework to the teacher in front of the whole class, one by one. So the whole idea is because she taught the subject, she had the right to decide how she wanted to receive what you had done. And if you did the homework in some kind of way where you completed the assignment, but your name, just your name, was not written in the right-hand corner, she would send you back to your seat, give you a mark on your paper, and tell you that this is not how I want to receive your work. You received instruction, and you just can't handle, you can't hand in the homework all crumpled up with barbecue sauce on the side of it. You know, just, just throw the, the homework to your teacher. <laughs> Here you go. I did it. I mean, it had to be a certain way. Otherwise, you would lose points. This could affect your grade. The Samaritans were making up worship in any kind of way they wanted to. They were out of line with God's instructions. And I'm going to go into a little bit more of that possibly next week should the Lord allow me to. You know, they were having services and instituting ordinances and, and ceremonies that God did not agree with. And then to make matters worse, they're passing this stuff down to the generations. So the kids are coming up thinking, this is what we do. They don't know. Now, I need to say this. Jesus in this passage of scripture here is not harping so much on the Samaritans because he understands that they're coming from a place where they worship God in ignorance. The history is this. The Samaritans were the Jews who were left behind after they were conquered by a foreign nation and carried off to a foreign country. The Samaritans were the one who uh, had to start all over. 
after the, you know, their culture was stripped away, after their religion was stripped away, after whatever they were doing was stripped away from them, they had to you know, start all over. And they got involved and intermarried into some pagan stuff and some pagan people in the land. And things got really, really twisted. So they're having worship all kinds of ways. And that's not exactly what God had said. They made it up as they, they didn't know anybody. They went along with it. They, this is what we do. But it wasn't right. Kind of like some of the churches that we may have come out of. Amen? Where we have people that come from our culture being stripped from us. We've been enslaved or things have happened or place us in a different position than to other people, you know, that, that, that other churches that, that, are, that are a little bit better off. Uh, they, they, we have church in the way we know how. <laughs> Trying to, you know, doing stuff and stuff is taught out of, you know, sync with the scripture and it's not quite in line. You know, doing things that are not in step with scripture. Some people would come and look at that and have come and looked at that and have judged rather harshly. Right? Not realizing that some of these people were just trying the best that they could and they were starting off from a place that was different than other people. Amen? But look at the heart of Christ. Jesus represents the heart of the Father. Jesus and the Father are one. Here he has compassion on her because he realizes what she's doing is coming from a place of ignorance. Are you understanding me? She just doesn't know any better. What I'm saying here, there are some theologians that can be hard on folks just because they're not starting from the same place that they are. Are you hearing me? Because the truth uh, was something that got twisted. Because they've been in the truth a little bit longer, so they turn their nose down at folks who are just like, you know, well, hallelujah, anyhow, I don't know no better than this. You know what I mean? I, 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 come, I come and worship God the best way I know how. But Jesus is not... You know, he's not agreeing with what she's doing wrong. But his heart is gentle with her. His heart is loving. His heart is understanding. He's not saying, well, I don't know what y'all doing over there in that church. You know, people, you know, what, what kind of worship is that? Some people can be that way. Amen. Jesus is different. He's getting his, he has a different come across. However, all that aside... Once we hear the truth, we must make adjustments because of the truth. Because as redeemed people, we want to give God what he asks for. Amen? So we don't just make the excuse and say, well, that's just how I know how to worship. And, you know, hey, I heard, but I see the word, but I'm going to do, I'm doing me. Here's my worship, God. <laughs> let me say this. Before we move on to this other side, this is the side of worshiping in truth. Before we get into the spirit side, there should be freedom in worship. You may still, you know, you may worship in a way that you were taught, or you may worship in a way that's comfortable. You, you, may, you may sit still while you worship, while others may feel the need to yell praises at God like he has a hearing problem. It's okay. I personally believe that I don't have the right to tell somebody how to respond to how good God has been to them. Let's settle that. Amen? I don't know what you've been through just this last week. 
So you may, all, all you may be able to do is sit quietly and rock back and forth because you're so reverent to God. Meanwhile, somebody else is getting up, running around circles in the church because that's just how they are. That's how they express that to God. Listen, the thing is, is that that's really none of our business because I really don't know what God is to you and how he's been good to you. And I, I, I can turn my nose up. And, but the, the, the point is not your style of worship. The point is the heart of worship. The point is it, it is authentic worship. Are you hearing me, saints? Amen? We can worship God in whatever way we feel as long as it's authentic. And here's the other side of it, as long as it's not inappropriate. Where the worship is, you know, the focus of your worship is on Jesus and not how crazy and wild you can be. Where you're bringing attention to yourself. You become a distraction to the move of the Spirit. That's not allowed. Amen? You can get so excited about God where you run up on stage and, you know, and, and sit down and get all in the middle of the passage and what he's doing. Snatch G keeps guitar and run down Castro Valley's Boulevard. That's not worship. That's stealing instruments. What I'm trying to explain to you <laughs> is, is there should be some kind of reverential control. Amen? You can express yourself in whatever way, but you don't, you know, it should not be completely out of sync with the Holy Ghost. I mean, are you following what I'm saying? You got people just lay all up on top of the organ while somebody's trying to play the organ. That's just crazy. And I've seen people do it and say, I'm just in the spirit. No, you're not. That's you in the flesh. But then there's other people, you know, when you turn your nose up at somebody because, you know, they, they sit still. All they can do is sit still. They don't, you know, they, 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 don't, they ain't saying much. They just, whoo, God, you've been good. Yes. And you're running around in circles and they just, God, you, you've been good. Yeah. You know, there's, there's some reverential moments that can be very quiet. When you see Isaiah in the sixth chapter, you know, he had a vision of the Lord. And he couldn't do nothing but sit still and tremor. Huh? He couldn't, he couldn't even move. He said, woe is me. I'm a, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lip. I dwell with, you know, with people and, and, and folks in my community. They are all unclean. We're all unclean. I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to get up and run nowhere. I'm going to sit right here. It's the best I can do. I, I have a holy reverence for God. There may be some differences in our worship style. The question is, is it in spirit? Is it in truth? Are you hearing me? Okay. You getting that? Was that simple? Okay. Verse 23. But the time is coming, indeed is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. My goodness. Here's the thing. God is not a man. People don't deserve worship. God is perfect. God is majestic. He's holy. He's everywhere at the same time. He's all-powerful. He can do anything he wants to do. He can never fail. He never makes a mistake. He, everything in your life, he's figured it out from the beginning to the end. He's, going, he's already got it all worked out. Someone who has that amount of power deserves worship. I'll go even further. You're created to do one main thing, and that is to worship the Lord. 
Oh, well, I got to get to school. I got to do this. I got, no, no, what I got to do is worship. <laughs> That's what I got to do. Amen? So here's the question. Understanding that that's the reason for our very existence is worship on our schedule. Do we worship God? What's the priority of worship? Amen? Just touching on it. We're going to go a little bit deeper, but just touch on it. Huh? Am I deciding to worship? Deciding to worship God. Huh. Is this what I do? I heard my daddy say, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Is is that how I see my existence? Is worship a priority for me? Ah. For God, verse 24, is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, this spirit thing is something that a lot of folks kind of argue about. A lot of theologians kind of get back into it. You know, they, 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 they go back and forth with it. You know, is, 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 is the spirit, what does spirit really mean? Does that mean that, is it of the spirit? Which is true. Or is it just like, no spirit in it whatsoever? <laughs> you follow me? In your worship, as far as, coming from you, you know? This is a massive statement. I believe that Jesus is tackling a really big problem here, even bigger than the one he's dealing with with the Samaritan woman where she's out of line, okay? Where her false worship is out of error and ignorance. Jesus is dealing with something huge here. What we have here really in this passage is two categories of people, those who are not worshiping in truth and those who are not worshiping in spirit. William McDonald says this. I'm going to use this quote. The Jewish people had reduced worship to an outward form of ceremony. They thought by religiously adhering to the letter of the law and going through certain rituals, they were worshiping the Father. But theirs was not a worship of the Spirit. It was outward and not inward. Mm. Their bodies might be bowed down to the ground, but their hearts were not right before God. Interesting quote. God knows everything about us. He's everywhere. He's all-powerful, and he's omniscient. He has all knowledge. Amen? Not just what's going to happen, but he knows why people do whatever they do. He could see into the heart. He could see into the motive. He could see into the intention. God knows everything about us. So our worship of God must never be something that's fake. If it's going to be received by God, it must be authentic. Amen? Jesus said this, Matthew 15, 7, uh, yeah, 7 through 9. Matthew 15, 7 through 9. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And he said this in verse 9. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas. Our ancestors worshiped here. 
on this mountain. Our ancestors worshiped this way. That's what she said. Amen. You know, they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. So what Jesus is talking about here is he's talking about the Jews and the Pharisees mainly, but you can accurately see that he's accurately summing up both groups or both categories of people, those who make stuff up and then those whose worship is not with the Spirit, or should I say heartless worship. Heartless worship. Are you with me? Many of us, I'm going to say something that's going to be a little interesting because I think this speaks to a lot of what we're seeing even in these days and times that we're living right now. <laughs> Many of us were brought up in the church. Amen? Went to Sunday school. Then they had all kinds of Kojic stuff that I don't even remember. That my dad and them went through and they told me about. What is YPWW? What is that? Some people know. Young people said What? Okay, I just, I don't even know what it means. But I heard about it. You are brought up in all these programs. Many people were brought up in the church and being, in some ways, pushed into a relationship with God. Pushed into worship. Whoo! Because of the environment that they grew up in. The problem with that, saints, is that if you're not careful that can be a form or an attempt of some kind of moral practice without a real true connection. Amen? We've seen it, right? It's, by, it's worship by human effort and not worship that is coming from the promptings of the Spirit. Oh, you hear me? Okay. So we grow up in church uh, having a worship formula. Mm-hmm instead of a real relationship with God that will result in worship that comes from, I know this is touchy, worship that is in spirit and in truth. It's just like the Samaritan woman. Her religious formula was not a real relationship. Are you hearing me? So what naturally ends up happening is you get a person who is churchy in their religious uh, consistency, but there's no authenticity. Ooh. Uh, is, this, is it hitting some toes here? Okay. What's the problem? The problem is, is they never came to God just as they were. They came to God with a bunch of expectation from others. Are you hearing me? So they didn't come to Jesus by themselves in some instances. What sometimes ends up happening is you come with this expectation of others. That's what I believe is happening with these generations that have been proceeding for or, or that we've been, you know, seen down to the years. They came to Jesus not on their own. They came to Jesus in a group. <laughs> Mommy and daddy, we meant well, but we didn't understand that some of that pressure did not always lend great results. Am I right about that, David? Okay. So the child was pushed into the relationship by an environment with Jesus. And when life starts to get tough, they realize that they don't really have a relationship. When trials come or temptations come, they fall out with God. Uh-huh. Why? Because, they, or they have a very casual approach. Uh, things look like they have reverence for God, but when the rubber meets the road, they, you find that they have these dual lives. 
Are you hearing me? There's this duplicity thing going on. Ooh. They can live in sin without any real conviction or any real change. Like the Samaritan woman who can have five men that ain't her husband (laughs) that she's sleeping with, get up and go to church, have service, say that she's worshiped God, and it's really just a routine because she's going to get up and do the same thing next week. There's no change. Why? Because they came to Christ through a program or a system that was well-meaning but, or a church culture or, or her parents, but she never came by herself. What I'm trying to say to you, that's the same thing with, that was wrong with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were very religious, and there was an environment around them that really pushed that religious system. And Jesus comes in and says, yeah, you know me through your system, but you don't know me in your heart. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And then when the, when the, when the perseverance has to come in, when the pressure comes in, you fall apart. You find yourself cracking. You can't lean on your program. You can only lean on Jesus. Are you hearing me? Now, let me balance this. Discipleship is good. Teaching our children is good. There's a point, though, that even in that where we have to back off and let the person realize for themselves just how much they need Jesus. Are you hearing me? What are you saying, Pastor? I was talking to a young man. He called me Wednesday, I believe it was. I was sitting at home. Wanted to talk on Tuesday, but I couldn't get to him on Tuesday, so I called him on Wednesday. He was like, I could talk to you in my, in, in my break time, but I really got to get to you, and I, I need to talk to you about some things. I'm, I'm struggling with some things. And a father, he's a young man. He's a father. He, you know, he wants to teach his children. Him and his wife have beautiful kids. He wants to teach his children, and they want their children. They both want their children to be, you know, kept by God. But the father feels like the wife feels like he is a little strict and he feels like the wife is a little too loose see, see the situation so they're having a problem with understanding how to bring up their children because they want to do it right they both desire to do it right it was interesting this call I had you know it came around 12 o'clock this week the wife is much looser with in her approach um with her children, but she is a child of God. I know this woman. The father is strict in his approach, but he is a child of God. I know him. I've seen, you know, there's a real heart for God there from both of them. The mother was dropped by her parents when it came to religion. The mother, you know, her, her, her parents said, listen, you decide what you want to do, and you let us know where you land. So they dropped it. The father comes from a stricter background. Well, you're going to learn this Bible and that's going to be it. And if you don't do it, I'm going to whip you. (laughs) Something extreme like that. Okay? But here's the thing. They both end up being saved. Now, interesting thing is, is this. The mother's parents let the daughter make her own choice and the daughter did exactly what would happen if you do that. She got into a whole ton of trouble. 
She has regrets about the things that she's done. It's caused a lot of grief in her life. There's some things that she went through that she wished she never had have gone through. She wishes that she had been closer to the church. However, the trouble that she got into still wasn't bigger than God. Oh! God still found her and ended up saving her and bringing him to himself no matter what she went through. The truth be told, God found most of us in a place where we, I don't know about you, but he found me when I was in some trouble. Amen? Amen? Meanwhile, on the other side of that, saints, you got some folks who have been raised in the church where they've restricted the trouble and the trouble has been avoided. And as soon as they were old enough, <laughs> what'd they do? They bolted out the church and left skid marks on the altar. What'd they do? They went out there, I don't know about you, they went out there looking for trouble. What can I get? Where is it? Is the trouble under here? I'm looking for trouble, trouble, trouble. You there? Am I, am I lying? All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned our wicked ways. Some of us come from the private school side. Some of us come from the public school side. <laughs> this side of the track versus that side of the track. Mama's a little loose. Daddy's a little strict. Doesn't matter. The bottom line is all of us come with some trouble. Are you hearing me? But when trouble, here's the thing about trouble. The, God is so good and so awesome and so sovereign and his boundaries are set in such a way that here's the thing, saints, the trouble has been used for some of us to create a real authentic relationship with Jesus Christ <laughs> where we desire to be real with God and not fake with God because we learn that God can handle our trouble. So I can go ahead and tell you what I'm thinking. I can go ahead and tell you what you need to deliver me from. I can go ahead and tell you <laughs> what's wrong with me. <laughs> and you can search me all over. And if you find anything that shouldn't be, go ahead and take it out of me. I'm okay with it. Are you hearing me, saints? Amen. Spirit and in truth, God can handle the trouble. Yes, he can. We desire to stay in the truth now because we remember <laughs> what it was like living a lie. <laughs> and how the devil whooped us up and beat us up so bad, we came running to Jesus like, where's the truth? Just, just tell me the truth. I'm, just somebody tell me the truth. I, I can't do that anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm so sick and tired of myself. I need deliverance. God, God help me. Where are you, Jesus? Are you, I don't, is it just me? Okay. Okay. What we see nowadays, saints, is a group of people who have been raised in church but are leaving the church. I personally believe because the relationship was never real. Something's happening even with the young folks. We take them through a lot of training and they go to college and it's like, what do you believe? What? That's not what we taught you. Are you hearing me? Listen, I'm going to say this to you. We could have the best safeguards, the best discipleship material, the best trouble avoidance systems. 
And people are still going to need Jesus Christ to intervene. Period. The end. No one shows up and says to God, thank you so much for the instruction manual. That was great. I've saved myself and all my family members too. Thank you. No. No. We will all be, when we get to glory, we will all be saying, I don't know what God did, how God did it, but I am so grateful that God did it. If it had not been for Jesus, I don't know where I would be. I tried it my way. It didn't work. I couldn't fix myself. Even with the best of training, I still needed Jesus. Come on, somebody. Let me give you this quote, and I'm almost done. John Piper says something. This is a very famous quote, and it's not hard to find, but I think it's very truthful. Talking about spirit and truth. Just, you know, just touch on this just a little bit this morning. Truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full of artificial admirers. On the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. But true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional. (laughs) Do you hear that? And who love deep and sound doctrine. Sound affections or strong affections for God rooted in truth are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. Wow, you hear that? Spirit. Jesus knew what he was talking about. Spirit and truth. He's the creator. He knows what we're made of. He knows what we need. Amen? Worship that has spirit starts with truth. Think about it. What you getting excited for? <laughs> if it's not based on some truth that you could hold on to, right? Amen? It starts with the truth. It starts with the individual. The individual. I'm going to say it one more time. The individual realizing that they are not right with God who is totally, perfectly holy. The one true God that deserves worship and not just in buildings, but he deserves worship in the everyday lives of his creation. You hear me? Amen. True worship in spirit and truth starts from understanding that we all deserve death because we have broken his commands and we have not worshiped God. Are you hearing me? True worship starts with the fact that that same God had a plan. From the beginning, from the beginning of the foundation of the earth to send his son, Jesus Christ, who was given to pay for our crimes against a holy God. This is where true worship, authentic, spirit-filled, truthful worship really starts. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That last part. Jesus is the life (laughs) that I did not live, that I was supposed to live, and the life I'm going to live for all eternity simply because of what he's done for me. 
And for that, we worship God. We give him worship that is spirit and truth. Amen? Authentic worship. I'm done.